netcasting from Chicago, Los Angeles, and Sydney. You're listening to this week's FX Podcast from FXGuide.com. Hi, and welcome to the FX Podcast. I'm John Montgomery. Our guest this week is Steph Soretti, production VFX supervisor for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. He's working on, or he's worked on a variety of Marvel films since the first Captain America, and obviously he's got an interesting overall perspective on the movie as a production side supervisor, as well as his range of experience working on all those films. And among other things, the guys discuss the choice of the main VFX vendors on the film, uh, talk about various sequences, such as the incredible corridor attack sequence done at WetFX, uh, the acting performances of CG characters, as well as insights as to what it's like to work with director James Gunn and more. So let's go ahead and cross that interview now. It's Mike chatting with Steph Soretti. So thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Oh, of course. My pleasure, Mike. So how many of these darn Marvel films have you had the pleasure to uh, work on? Because it's a few, and they're really good ones. <laughs> yeah, well... I mean, it depends in which capacity, but I've yeah, I've I've um, I've started on the first Captain America. I was the second to uh, Chris Townsend at the time, um, and then I I was the second to Jake Morrison on uh, Thor two, and then after that they gave me my own film. So that was Guardians. I think I've done like five or six films as the supervisor. Guardians, the first Guardians, Doctor Strange. Uh, Ant Man and the Wasp, uh, Eternals. I helped a little bit on Endgame, uh, and then this one. And, and you, I mean, I remember you initially when you were at uh, Booth, right? Because that was like the back yeah. in the days of like the Matrix and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, even even older than that. <laughs> I started there in '96 or something like wow. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, the first film I worked on was Batman and Robin, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> That's like '97, oh, right? Yeah. It was 97, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. started in 96 and it came out in 97. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're approaching this film, this has got to resonate with you at many levels, right? Because obviously inside the Marvel Universe, these films, obviously there's a huge number of them and I think it's like 15 years since Iron Man or whatever. Mm-hmm. But but this is clearly the third of three films with a real sense of closure that we don't normally get out of a out of a Marvel yeah. film because, you know, they're normally kind of rolling on. Did, did you sort of approach it any differently or was there any sort of, uh, I know that sounds like a, a weird question, but. Yeah. No, it's not because it, I mean, it, it, it was an emotional kind of ride, to be honest. I really wanted to come back for this one. Um, and uh, actually you were supposed to start it in 2018 and then it got, you know, it got pushed and stopped yeah. and. You know, we had questions about James' position on the film and all that stuff. Obviously, it got all cleared, which was great. And then, but then, you know, it got pushed again. I got to do Eternals, or actually help an Endgame and do Eternals in the same time. And then I really wanted to to come back on this, and James was keen to get me back too. So we we tried to get things to align, but it did not quite align very well. I I, I was finishing Eternals pretty much as I was prepping this one, but that was really out of you know, I would never do that usually, <laughs> but I was really out of the, the the will to, you know, finish it and give these characters, you know, my love uh, and and let them go away. You know, um, it's it was really about it was really emotional to come back and and finish the story. Really, but if someone's listening to this, they might think that's odd, right? Because Eternals was twenty one, this is twenty three. Like, how long were you working on uh, on Guardians Volume Three? 
Yeah, we were started prep in July 2021. Okay. And Eternals came out in November. So we were working on Eternals until October, pretty much. And we started shooting Guardians in November 2021. So and we finished shooting in in July, you know, around June, end of May 2022. And we had we had a, a fair amount of time in post actually on this one. And that's that's the result of James really always wanting to give us the time to make it to make it right. Um, and that's something that he, he really deals with the studio about timelines like this. And he always wants now to have almost a year in post, to be honest. So there are a number of visual effects houses and special effects teams that contributed to this. But if I'm not mistaken, the principles being Framestore and Weta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did you yeah. settle on those two? And obviously it was a very good um, partnership. Yeah, I mean, actually, I would say we had what we called anchor vendors. We had three of them. We had, as you said, Framestore and Sony Imageworks as well. Right. They kind of shared the amount of, of shots. I mean, we have 3,000, more than 3,000 VFX shots on the show. And we were also doing the Christmas special at the same time. Um, <laughs> you know, that little thing with 600 shots in it. So um, obviously, Framestore, we wanted to bring them back. They've been with us on every film from the first one. And they really created the character of Rocket in terms of, you know, its digital side. Um, so we wanted to bring them back. You know, they understand the character. The animators understand the character very well. And this being the story of Rocket, um, you know, we 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 know that they can do these things and they can do them very well. So we we really focus them on everything that is Rocket's story, you know, the, his background story and all that stuff. Um and for Weta, I mean, James has been working with Weta since actually uh, the, um, uh, volume two, and he really likes working with them. He works with them on the Suicide Squad. They're a huge company that is really good for, you know, we we had them slated mostly for the, the final act of the film, uh, and they're really good at that. And I, I had never worked with Guy Williams before, but it was a very enjoyable, you know, experience. And, um, and they came was- up... Yeah, I was lucky enough to talk to Guy about his experience. He uh, he enjoyed it tremendously as well. Let's start there yeah. then because you mentioned Guy. So yeah. we got to talk to him about uh, what has to be one of the most spectacular examples of uh, current state of visual effects, which is that corridor <laughs> attack sequence. Um, yes. So I'm right in remembering what, from his discussion, he was saying it was like 16 shots stitched together. So- yeah, it was, it was 16. It was like we... It was eight shots for us in terms of it was one big shot, but we cut it yeah, into sure. eight. But in each and every piece, there is some sort of stitching between between two parts. So I would say it's between sixteen and eighteen shots. You know, um, it, yeah, I, yeah. So obviously that's relevant in the plot. It's the last time we're going to see the Guardians as we know them fighting like this. So it's like great. It's also. Mm-hmm got this great needle drop at the start of it. So the music yeah. is everything. But having said that, when you unpack that, as Guy explained to us, it's like, well, hang on a second. But now the music means everything has to hit a particular beat on the music. And and that's, you know, like you can't just put an extra 10 frames in here because that would solve a problem, yeah. but throw everything out of sync. Um, yeah. Were you, like it's a tour de force, but at the beginning of it, did you like just think, well, I know exactly how this is going to play out? Or was there a sense of, Hey, I'm sure we can do it, but I've got no idea how. Well, it, it's a bit of both, to be honest. There's always questions. So you you start with planning. You know, we did a lot of planning. We had we had um, obviously James, uh, you know, giving his beats like he wanted to eat some specific beats, and then he worked a lot with 
uh, Wayne Daglish, who is the, the fight coordinator for this sequence, and they started chipping at it and doing a lot of stun vis. And these guys do also a little bit of, of post vis on their stun vis. So they're starting to shape it up. And then we had a pretty rough version of it, you know, as we're starting to shoot, but they had a good idea of how they wanted to shoot it. We knew roughly where the, you know, the moments would be when we would need to kind of stitch cameras together. And um, and there was that idea that, you know, we, we would just go in and shoot it. We spent three days shooting it. Uh, they spent like five or six months kind of, designing it to be honest and then um and then we uh, you know and then when you get into that you know there's always kind of some you know they, they train with the actors they they had the, all their pick points and everything with the stunts but there's always a, a level of kind of randomness that comes into shooting these things because people have to be in sync and then the camera needs to move exactly like james wants it james is very specific and he there's no second unit on the on the film. We shot everything with James because um, he's so specific about what he wants from acting, but also from action. So he, he doesn't really, especially for these kind of things where the actors are involved and it's so very specific. He will always want to be there. Um, so we did we did that, and then you know we we get into shooting, and then obviously our DP um, uh, Henry Bram is the camera operator. He's got this very tiny. Uh, contraptions and stabilized thing is shooting with his red camera and he's running around, you know, and it's hard to kind of like stitch the cameras together exactly and be in the same exact position when things are moving okay, around. Okay, I got I to ask you, did you did yeah. you consider shooting at motion control? I mean... No, never. No? There was no way. No. So why not? Why not? Because it needs to be very organic and it needs to move... In, Henry is great at shooting action like that, and he's shooting with with lenses that are so wide. You wouldn't want to have a motion control arm next to someone doing a stunt at okay. that kind of camera speed. That would be really dangerous, actually. Um, so we we really just like we just went for it, and then you know there's definitely moments where it worked really well, and there's other moments where I was like, oh my god, how are we gonna speak? Together. I should tell you that Guy was incredibly complimentary about how it was shot, right? Like there yeah. was no well, I mean, criticism. But but having said that, he was like, you come in the next day and you kind of get a camera angle to line up with something that you shot the previous day. And, you know, like yeah. it's the yeah. chances of that being, it's never going to yeah. be perfectly lined up. And there was discussion at some point about shooting it out of order. And I was like, there is absolutely <laughs> no way, no way we're going to shoot that out of order, guys. This is never going to happen. So... Uh, because you know actors and all that stuff. So we, the good thing is that we had the actors there, every, all of them. We had the stunt, you know, their doubles, everybody, all of there. So we could do, you know, one first pass with the actors, and then do the stunt, and then it could go a little bit more crazy. And then we would find, oh, well, actually, this is going to be a new connection point we didn't think about, or things like that. You know, it was kind of very well prepared but at the same time organic and there's things so after six months better. of preparation yeah. you are still yeah. improvising oh, yeah. in a creative way wow that's amazing well Here's i the mean, thing, right it's I, improvisation it's dealing with the moment okay <laughs> that's how we call it. let's call let's call it creative problem solving yes. here's the thing if you had a whole lot of people like uh peter quill's character right like mm -hmm. uh star lord's character i could imagine approaching this problem but half those characters are like obviously not normal human size. Yeah. So you can't just say, I oh, will have Bob stand in for Groot because Groot's like not the size that any person could be. And then all the people they're shooting aren't the size that anyone could be. So mm -hmm. the blocking of it just struck me as like, 
insane. Like, I mean, if a character's got to swing on another character and that character's CG to yeah. another character who's CG while killing some characters that are CG, <laughs> like physically making that so there's enough lens space in the framing and the blocking must have been a nightmare. Well, we had, we had people there. We had stunties that were kind of representing roughly where the closest, we call them the crusties, the guys, the crustacean. Yeah. But unless they were so, dressed in sumo suits, I don't see how you'd like well, be able to block yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, there's a bit of leeway with all these things, you know, not that much when you're in a corridor and perspective are so specific. But we we tried to kind of save the space and really, you know, we do we did first rehearsals with a bunch of people there, just blocking the the space for our crusties. And then once everybody got into the kind of rhythm and the muscle memory of doing these things. We take everybody out as we always do. And then, you know, we have contraction for like, for example, when um, uh, um, Mantis kind of hits, you know, kind of jumps underneath the the arm of Groot. We knew that Groot had his extended arm at that point. So we placed a like a, a, a trust and a, a big, you know, metal rod that was all kind of fixed to the wall. And then we, she could swing off that, and then the camera goes off her, and then we know we need to take that out. So that's a that's a connection point. It was a lot. It's just so complicated. Everything that needed to happen, but it was planned pretty well in that sense, in terms of keeping the space and where all our main characters were. So we knew all of that. The comp the complexity was because we were shooting with a handheld camera, pretty much was more about, you know, getting the camera to be in the right space for the next take and at the right speed and trying to kind of get that to, to be as close as possible. Okay, so there um, are two points about that, if I can unpack it. Firstly, it seemed yeah. to me that one of the problems is making that camera seem like it could move that way because yeah. it's all very well like, oh, it gets to here and then it goes right. But if you watch that and it's an abrupt right, then it's never going to yeah. feel like it, it's feel like a CG camera, right? Doing an impossible... Yeah. So yeah. it, it had to feel like it was actually physically possible to yeah. be one shot. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I mean, that's that's the beauty of it is that we it, we never. I mean, despite the fact that we had some connections that were pretty rough in places, and especially it's double hard because you're in a corridor and perspective are really kind of yeah straight and everything. So you you can't. But you know, that's that's why. We, we need, we knew we needed to have Weta on the show, to be honest, because it's so complex. Uh, we we knew that at some point we'd have to go to a CG set or reprojecting, or you know, I mean that that's something I've I've never been very afraid of, because right. coming from Booth, that's what we're doing all the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Okay, we but the doing, second we were working, you know what I mean? Like we're yeah. doing like no, no. these these, and... uh, these fight clubs and things like that, and I I know this is all possible, you know. Yeah, and and uh, guy was telling us about how they were reprojecting uh, in Nuke and stuff to get the back uh, perspective and the environment yeah. stuff. But the other thing I was going to yes. ask you about in your role, obviously as a senior on set, basically, okay, mm -hmm. clearly you can visualize, no question. Clearly you can get it in yeah. your head. And I'm not being in any way disrespectful, but like it must be a challenge to be able to effectively communicate to all the actors involved because they're not meant yeah. to be visual effects experts. They're, I mean, obviously trained professionals and they're very good actors, but they're not like trying to explain to them so that they can give a good performance when, was that, that difficult? That's why we, yeah. No, because they, first of all, they're used to it and they trust us. That's okay. the one thing. Cause we've done many films together, right? True. So it's, 
they've they've gone through that process many many times and these guys have been on endgame and <laughs> you know infinity wars and crazy stuff like that so they there's a sense of there's a level of trust that they know it's going to work and also you know we have uh Wayne at at put together all that stunt vis that was you know rough but precise in terms of what would happen around them and and they had a good understanding of the environment and what and they also trust James implicitly. And James is on top of everything. He knows he knows everything. He knows what's going to happen. He knows where he wants these actors to be. And they trust him. They trust me. They trust Wayne. And we've just gone through it, you know, with all full trust of everybody and knowing it would work. It would, I knew when I was shooting it, I had a lot of sweat on my on my forehead because I knew it would be incredibly difficult. And um and but also I knew that everything we were doing, you know, you just chip one thing at a time. You go through everything yeah. at a, you know one at a time, and you're gonna you go. It's very methodical in a way, even though it's chaotic. It's very methodical. And okay, I know I can do that stitch. This is gonna work, and I know I can place the actors in the right place. So it's it it's really just an iterative process, and you you don't want to think too much about what's coming in. You don't want to think too much about what you've done. You really need to focus in the moment. And see, okay, is this gonna work for this moment? Yes. And James is happy. He looks at me. He says, "Steph, you're happy." I say, "Yeah, I'm happy." If I'm not happy, I'm gonna say, "I'm not happy," and we're gonna do it again. And then we're gonna move on. And it, it's just the way you you can't really you can't really think too much about it once you when you're shooting it. You have to focus in the, the exact moment. I've seen it a couple of times now, and there are two things that were fun. One is I think the personality of the individual uh, characters is so cleverly portrayed mm -hmm. and where their point is in the story arc is portrayed by where they are in that fight sequence. Like Gamora is hanging back at the beginning and she's not really fighting as a team member as much as the other, like all that kind of stuff, right? I think that yeah. was really yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I think the other thing that was super yeah. interesting is just how much fun you had in the background with people that were stuck on the wall with knives in their legs or whatever that would just, yeah. maybe you could talk to that, like, cause those, that's what really makes it charming after you've solved the technical. Well, but that's 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 the beauty of you know having James being so involved in it because he never loses track of his characters, right? So he knows what he wants to get out of them. He knows that he wants a moment when Rocket and Groot are gonna be on on top of each other, and it's gonna be these key frames, you know, that we we like and that kind of resonate with what we did in the first film. But you're talking about Gamora; and it's totally true, and it's true true of her for most of the film, to be honest. She always stays back, you know, she stays at the spaceship with Rocket. She, at the end, when they all hug and at the very end of the film, she's not part of the hug. She's still someone, she's not part of the Guardians anymore. She's a Ravager. She, she's a she's a gun for hire, pretty much. And then that you see that throughout. And her her place in, the, in, in that Warner is a reflection of that as well. And even though she's the last one you see and she's fighting the big boss at the end, she's still you know, in front of them, but all of them are in the back in the last image as a family, but she's kind of separate from them. And so that's that's part of the design and the, the idea of the character, you know, that that we're and in terms of the background stuff, there was a lot of things that we had shot, but also the the guys at Weta added so much fun in the back. They oh, really? came up with a lot of ideas. Oh yeah. No, no. They we we had a mixture of things that we had shot and we knew we had this guy that we had thrown on the on the wall that was just hanging there and all these things, but they they added so like you know at some point you see Groot kind of catching a guy and just crashing him on the floor and there's a lot of things that I mean the, the, yeah Mike Cousins the 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 lead animator is 
is brilliant. And and what I do for these kind of scenes, because they are so complicated, um, I work with them initially. You know, we do the first blocking and we go, we go through that. We had a we had a few phone calls with between Wera, um, Wayne, and me, so that we could go through every beat and see the, what the intentions were and make sure everything was in in line. And the uh, Fred Raskin, our editor, did a, a very good pass at everything. Same thing, trying to keep things in sync with the music and, and you know making building it as much as he could with what we had shot. But then from there on, I had James, we had pretty much weekly meetings between James, myself, and Weta all together. We do that all the time. I, I love doing this. It's easier and it's faster to get his, you know, his notes. We just get them live. We just go through the, the thing and we go through every beat. And then James gives us our, his notes. We discuss it and then we move forward. The next week we get a new iteration at, and we all work on it together because it's directing at that point. Animation is directing, and James has to direct them as much as you know, as much as he can. And I allow this in our process to have time with James and the vendor. I do that with I do that a lot with Weta because they they do these very intricate, complicated scenes that I think James needs to be very involved in, and that allows us to actually get it done. Even though we had a year to do it, it was still one of the last shots we finished. Well, now um, Guy told me that was, halfway through that, that there yeah. was a lockdown point that he was like saying to you, listen, like, yes. and I'm paraphrasing, but like, we need to not change a frame now because it all actually lines up. And it took us six months to get every yeah. frame to land on a beat. So now yeah. that's unusual to lock the shot so early before you, of course, had the, you know, final animation and all the stuff that's the secondary animation and stuff. You had the primary animation, but yeah. was it, was it a, well, it's a I good, mean, it's a good, it's a good thing that you're saying unusual. Working with James in this world is very unusual because he's a very responsible filmmaker. And if we tell him that it's to lock, he says, okay. <laughs> if it's good, he will say yes. You know, uh, there was a few late kind of, you know, hey, can we, should we add some time? And everybody was like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> but... We found ways to animate a few more things. There was a few, like I would say, dead spots, yeah. you know, in the in the in the, the scene. And we, and James was always kind of bumping on them, and he was like, "Should we speed it up?" And we, everybody was like, even the editors were like, "No, no, 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 no," because <laughs> there's so much stuff happening there, especially in terms of sound and. Uh, but so we found ways to kind of add an event or have something happen, or we, we could still move the camera at that point, but not change the timing of, of the events, just add right. to the events or change the camera. And that, that, that gave us a few, a few little moments of fear, but in the end that didn't change. I mean, everything was time with the music, the tempo, you know, there were the sound design people were starting to put sound on every single event that's at happening in there so it was a big machine like you you can't really change okay, it so and they, they, it was crazy yeah yeah so if i can back up for a second you were talking about the importance of being able to direct the animation and that perfectly yeah. segues into the other thing i want to talk to you about which was a lot of the yeah. i mean where did some rocket but obviously framesaw did a huge amount of rocket yeah the acting yeah, that you guys managed to get of the characters mm -hmm. is just really really good acting because, and I've, mm -hmm. I said this uh, sort of publicly before, it's like it, you could have easily fallen into cliche or into horror or into schmaltzy, yeah. but like you, 
you'd go there. No, no, but I'm serious. Like you'd go there and it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. You've got people kind of tearing up over, you know, kind of these and and they are on paper grotesque. They're like uh, you know, Flora yeah. the Flora the some of the characters that, that are not rocket even are just could be horrifying. But also they could be stupid. They could yeah. be just dumb yeah. and they're not. And so yeah. But I think that comes down to the acting. So could you talk me through that initial thing that happened where James actually got some actors to, I know they're in mocap mm-hmm. suits, but you didn't actually do mocap, but in the mocap um, the stage? Mo-cap. Yeah. 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 Well, we were on a mocap stage. That was um, the reason why we were on a mocap stage was not for the actors. We never do mocap for any of these characters. Yeah. We've never done. I mean, I haven't done that on the first film and I wouldn't do that on the third. Um, it was for the cameras because right. James was very specific about the fact that now he's got his shooting style that is very specific to this kind of rig he's using. And he said, I want this scene to be shot the same way I shoot the rest of the film. And so I said, okay, well, there's a way to do that, which is not motion captures because James doesn't like motion capture either for the, for the, you know, for the, the animal characters. And I said, we're not going to motion capture the actors. They're going to be in motion capture suits because we need to know where they are in 3D space. But the camera, I can capture the camera moves. We can shoot the sequence. We had three cameras shooting at the same time, all the time. Uh, we can shoot the sequence, cover it the way you want to cover it with that kind of organic way you're, you're shooting things, even though it's thumbnailing every single shot in the movie. So we knew what our shots were. But then, you know, there's always a little bit of, of leeway with that. Um, and we're going to capture the cameras and you're going to be able to edit. We're, we're spending two days at the beginning of the, sh- of the film in, in that motion capture stage with like another sized, you know, we calculated it was the ratio between the size of the actors and the size of the, you know, the animals was 2.8 or something like that. We built that space, put the bar- the bars in the middle. We didn't, it's not finished. It was just a mocap stage. Sure. And, but then we had the bars because we knew that they would interact with the bars. And then we shot everything as a theater play, you know, in that mocap stage. But it was mostly so that A, we could edit it. And B, we could have all the camera moves captured. And also we could just get the real actors, except for, for Bradley Cooper. It's always Sean doing Sean Gunn doing Rocket. But all the other actors were the real voice actors. And we shot the sequence in over two days. And we shot this one in the cages and the one in the, the white corridor um, before it goes to heaven or doesn't go to heaven. Uh, and then we shot all of that for two days. And we got the performances that we needed to have from the get-go at the very beginning of the shoot. And I really insisted for getting this early so that it would give time. It's the heart of the movie. So it would give yeah. time to the editors to really edit it correctly. And then we turned it over actually to, instead of giving it to the third floor to PoseViz, we gave it to French store PoseViz. They have their own PoseViz kind of team. And then that allowed us to kind of just flesh it out with CG characters and get it ready for screenings. And then turn it over actually pretty quickly to French store for them to actually do the work and then animate. And then very little changed between what we shot and what ended up being in the movie. There was a few so, little tweaks in terms of camera moves, but really not much changed. And so, Steph, was that thing, like an experiment? Know, James- was was it an experiment? Did you like think, let's have a crack at this? It may not be any use. We could throw it away, but there's a couple of days, whatever. Or were you like no. dead sure it was going to work? Oh, 
I was dead sure it was going to work. I mean, we we don't we don't have time to do experiments, to be honest. On the, and we had the actors, you know, just for the two days, and it was, you know, we we're still in COVID time, so it, it it was you know some of the actors came at least one came from London, so it's always something to bring someone from another country during COVID and all that stuff. So no, it was like in any case, if I couldn't, if the if the mocap wouldn't work for the cameras. I could always, you know, do a bit of match move or, you know, whatever, you know, it's, it's, just, it was simple, but I knew I would get the acting. It was pretty much a reference shoot. And James came into it thinking I'm directing the sequence. This is it. And he's gamed for it. And he understood what needed to happen very well. And we just went for it. And all the actors went for it. It was like, we just said, we're shooting this as if we were shooting the, the animals in the cages for real. It was just that, that was there was never an idea that that wouldn't be the thing. So, so that's remarkable. But also, were the actual designs of the characters nailed at this point? Because again, that would affect the blocking tremendously. Yeah. It was. It was. We had we had a lot of we had the visdev uh, department doing a lot of uh, that initial work. Then Legacy did a little bit of that. They also gave us some um, some stuffies that we could have on set to show to everybody what that looked like. You know, we knew, for example, when you do an over the shoulder over an otter, otters don't have shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, taking this into account, you know, well, you, you have to be over the shoulder, but that's actually going to be a really close, dirty over instead of a nice over the shoulder. It's going to be dirty over a head. You know things like that that we I tried to keep um, Henry and the, the the rest of the camera crew aware of. Um, no, it, it went really well. Like it really did go really well, and um, everybody was super excited after the first two days because it's such a big part of the film. Oh yeah, and we were kind of relieved that we had gone through this early on, and then that we could have all the time we needed to actually make it work. You know, we we turned it we turned over really soon on that because a the edit was really good. It was really conformed to what James wanted, and then the acting was amazing. And having them act together, you know, as a group, really made it something. You know, if we had done the voices separately later, if we had had to guess the camera moves that James wanted, it would have been a world of pain. But here we had the the best template for all the scenes. And actors kind of playing off each other in such a sweet way that it made it so much better. And the acting, I mean, we looked at the faces, we looked at the when they blink, the close-up shot of Ly of Lila cleaning the blood on, you know, on top of the head of Rocket. All the eye blinks are the, the eye blinks that Sean did. We literally wow. matched this frame by frame. So that we, the acting was so precise that we just went, you know, for that. So, in addition to the superb job that the animators did in actually mm -hmm. acting, the technical quality of that footage is really good. The clumping of the fur, the fur, the way that uh, oh, yeah. the freak renders from uh, Framestore just looked really good. Where, how long after you did that sequence did you start seeing some actual final look frames for what it was going to actually look like? Well, we we started doing some keyframes. You know, they they had already started building all the the different versions of Rocket. You know, with these different stages. So one one first thing we did was the stages of Rocket. You know, like yeah. from the very little run to all its different like operations, pretty much because it keeps uh, they keep adding some stuff on him. And um, so we had all that, and then they started to build 
all the other characters. Lila was, it was hard to get her right because we wanted that sweetness. Linda Cardellini, she's so sweet. Our eyes are so expressive. We really wanted to get that into the model. And it, we, we had some moments where it was rough. I was I had some moment of desperation where I was like, how am I gonna make this work? <laughs> and and get that get that otter to be able to emote so well. I had that one picture I found on the internet of one otter that I really liked. And we worked really hard on getting that. But it, they went pretty fast, to be honest. They were they're so good, the guys at Framestore with these things. It's incredible. And they, you know, I would say. Two months into the into the shoot, I started showing keyframes to James of you know the look. We we had shot the cages, we had some real cages on the set in the lab that were the ones that they would end up being in. So we had all that environment that we scanned. Uh, we had the lighting that Henry had did, had done, and so we could start to really work on that. There was a lot of inside the cages. The the set decorator, um, she was amazing. She. She put some little dirt, you know, all these pellets and all that stuff on the floor. And she even looked at me the first day. She said, Steph, you're going to hate me. And I said, no, actually, I love you because this is going to be me. This is going to give us something to ground the characters in and interact with, you know. So all of that stuff, you know, we started, they started building the cages. They started, we had so much stuff that we were, we could gather and then give them, give two friends to straight away to start diving all that stuff. After two months, two, three months, I, I started having very beautiful keyframes of all these characters in the cages with the lighting. And um, and then I was I was starting to get like, oh, we need to start seeing them animated. And you know, it 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 was a constant flow of of goodies, honestly. It was every time that we'd send something, I was like, that's that's exciting. That's gonna be good. So we focused on that one and of course the uh the tremendous backstory footage away from those two big sequences. <laughs> I mean, you were also blowing up planets. Uh, you were doing huge numbers of characters on those yeah. planets before they were blown up. <laughs> you were doing huge space battles. Um, like, yeah. it, it, away from those two shots, was there one, anything in particular that, like, was either resonated for you or was particularly difficult? Well, one that was the, the Sony stuff that, that they did was kind of interesting because it was unusual and it had that kind of, you know, 70s comic uh, vibe to it. It's the, the that kind of meat planet, you know, the horoscope, yep. and that was challenging to be <laughs> to be totally honest. Getting that to look like you know something tactile, and that they would land on, and that was squishy, and that looked like meat, and that you know, so that that was that was a big part of their their work on the on the film uh, Sony. They did all of that, you know, those those, those spacesuits landing and going onto the planet, and then them kind of bouncing around and opening the so there was a lot of that there was that that scene in zero gravity you know once they get inside that that was kind of complicated we shot with wires we had a tilted set at some point that we could use for them to stand on the walls vertically or um so that was kind of complicated in terms of shooting it and also you know getting the look of it to be right um there was a lot of things like these squishy um it's it's basic you know, I say it's not basic visual effects, but it's more kind of simple visual effects. But there was that that quirkiness about it that made it difficult in terms of the the look of it. Um, well, it's very clean the, in one sense. Like it's very clean. Yeah, it's yeah, very, it is. It's very lit. It's very much nowhere to hide. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then you have these kind yeah. of pop colors. Yeah. 
which actually kind of yes. works against visual effects, right? Because it's you want to make it more gritty, more dirty, yeah. more whatever to make it more real. Exactly. Trying to get it look real when you're not allowed to do that stuff must have been hard. There's nowhere to hide. And that's what James gives us sometimes is, <laughs> is very, uh, he likes shooting in, you know, daylight, very harsh daylight or very strong light. Uh, and we really don't have anywhere to hide. I mean, he did that to us at the end of the first, uh, the first film where we had that space battle that happened in daylight. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and that was really, really difficult, <laughs> if you remember. Um, so he does that to us. You know, he's like, well, you know, I know Jin in the dark is easy, but I'm not here to do things to make things easy. So it's uh, it's always this kind of challenges. But, it, you know, it turned out pretty good, I think, in the end. It's, it's quite kind of fun and quirky. Uh, which is very Guardians, and it's very, uh, it's very, it's that comic book kind of feel there that I like uh, a lot about it. Yeah, well, clearly it's resonated with the audience. I mean, it's uh, been hailed as one of the best uh, films in years, uh, and obviously there's this extra layer that we started with, this kind of sense of there being this arc and the end of seeing this particular team together. Um, so there was a lot of expectation writing, and I think you guys delivered in spades, but. It is yeah. definitely uh, some of the best character animation I've seen ever and some of the most complicated uh, live-action integration I've ever seen. So congratulations. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, we had a lot of fun doing it, actually. I think, you know, if you talk to the vendors, they'll tell you that they, they really enjoyed it. And, I, you know, it comes down to a lot of it to James, who is a very decisive director. And actually it makes it makes our work better because we have time to make things better you know so it's it's very interesting um how the dynamic worked and and everybody was so happy to work on it and give these guys the last their last send-off really uh it was it was i think it was emotional for a lot of people even on the vfx side yeah i think it's very upsetting when a lot of the work doesn't end up on the screen because it's involved in hunting yeah. things down and doing reshoots and trying to solve problems and you know, what you want to do is spend all that time and effort on stuff and then have it on the screen, not absolutely six absolutely. revisions that we didn't care about. Yeah. And that's the case on this, you know, I mean, we had, um, and even for the, I mean, the Christmas special, same thing, you know, it didn't, we didn't change the cut. We got the cut and never changed it and it was fine. And then we could, we didn't have time as well. We had to do Cosmo and nowhere and all that stuff. But then, you know, if, if the vision is right from the beginning, then it makes it easier for everybody. You know, uh, it's not easy, but at least you know you're focusing on the right things. Yeah. Um, and that was was something that that definitely happened on this film, and it, it was very enjoyable in that sense. Well, again, congratulations, and thanks so much for taking time to talk to us. Thank you, of course. Yeah, thank you. Well, thanks, guys, for that. I appreciate Steph taking the time to chat with us about Guardians Three and sharing his insights on the work. Be sure to check back out Effects Guys. We've got more coverage, including an article covering work done by WetFX on that corridor sequence the guys talked about. But that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening, and be on the lookout for our next FX podcast. Please let us know if you have any suggestions for stories or future podcasts. You can reach us by clicking the Contact Us link at the top of the homepage. This podcast is copyright FX Guide LLC. Broadcast or redistribution is prohibited without the expressed written consent of FX Guide.